Hello, everyone. Welcome back to LJN Radio. You're listening to Management Decisions. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today we're going to enter in a discussion about the ick and the awe factors. If you're not sure what that is, that's okay, but you have experienced it, I guarantee you. It has to do with ethics. You can relate it to the workplace or in your everyday lives. But to do that, we're going to speak today with Jack Marshall. He's the president and founder of ProEthics. He's also done a number of training programs, and he's a consultant as well, and we enjoy having him on to get his opinion on all these topics. Jack, thanks once again for coming on LJN Radio. Oh, I enjoy it. Thank you, Tim. We're going to look into something a little more, I guess, in detail, uh, maybe some things people haven't heard of, but they would probably understand once you describe them a bit. And we're going to talk about the ick and the awe factor. So just to start off, can you give us a brief description of what each of those means in your world? Yeah, what I talk about with the ick factor is people mistaking something that is new or is strange or is repulsive to them in one respect or another for it being wrong. Mm-hmm. And we see this we see this a lot. Uh, it comes up all the time, particularly with new technology, but also new styles, new new social mores. You know, it, we even go back to where rock and roll was you know right. seen to be evil and unethical because it was strange <laughs> and people weren't used to the music. And when you're comparing, you know, when you're comparing Bing Crosby to uh, Little Richard, all of a sudden Little Richard was there was something corrupting and wrong with him. That's the that's the ick factor, and it you'll see it confound ethical discussion all the time, and but perhaps no more than the opposite, which is the awe factor, which is where something that is seen to be cute and innocent and kind and cuddly is uh, necessarily right, right. or be- or worse, uh, requires the waiver of ethical, of various ethical principles. The rationalization, it, it, that one involves a rationalization that I call the saint's excuse, which is that people who believe they're, they're do- on the fighting on the side of the angels and that they have their objective is so, is so intrinsically good that they should be given more leeway to violate basic ethical principles like lying or cheating or stealing or even hurting people. You know, it's how right. you get to the ends justify the means. So the awe principle and the ick principle are really on opposite ends of the poles, but they have the same effect, which is that they're mistake that we use them, we mistake them for an ethical, you know, a sort of a dispassionate objective ethical analysis when in fact they're emotional reactions, not rational reactions. I guess that's where I would start. What creates that sort of confusion or this gray area in their minds of ethics? Is it a matter of the ethical side is more of a logical thing versus what they're thinking, as you mentioned, is more of an emotional reaction? Well, it is an emotional reaction, and it also has a, it ha- also has to do with a lot of a lot of things that that we just have uh, automatically sort of assigned to the good side of the uh, of the ledger. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I last wrote about the awe factor, I was talking about this case where uh, you know this a special needs teacher had started a founda- started a foundation on a website and fundraising for a particular student. Right. And she was engaged in this activity, setting up the website, doing all this stuff for this one student during her work time. She was doing it on school time, using school facilities, and she ended up being fired for it. And everybody arose and said, this is horrible. How can you do this? Look at the good things this 
this woman was doing. But the good things she was doing were not her job. And mm-hmm. in the framework of what she, what we were dealing with then, this is the awe factor right. of saying, oh, wasn't it nice, when what she was really doing is stealing time from her employers, not, not following rules she was well aware of. And her argument is basically, the ends justify the means, it's all for a good cause. And those are, those are rationalizations. She was dead to rights and should have been fired. And that's a, uh, you know, I think that's that we, we see examples of this frequently. And the public is really, really, I think, vulnerable to the awe factor. Sure. I'm in the Washington area, and we have a much detested owner of the Baltimore Orioles uh, just a ways <laughs> down the road. And one of the things he was hated for is, is uh, firing manager Davey Johnson, mm-hmm. who uh, later went on to be very success- successful with uh, uh, several other teams, and he, had, uh, and he was regarded as sort of an in-house genius here. And what he had done, the reason he was fired was that he had asked everybody to contribute money on the team oh. to his wife's nonprofit. It was a nonprofit she was the fundraiser for and wanted all of them to make gifts. And one of the players, Roberto Alomar, who is going to be in the, is in the Hall of Fame, basically said, no, I don't want to contribute. Thanks. And so Johnson found a way to find him for really? being late to the team photograph and find him for exactly the amount he had asked for as a contribution <laughs> and gave it to his wife's nonprofit. And Angelos, who's a lawyer, and, and, and uh, lawyers have rather specific ethics rules on this, but immediately saw this as a blatant conflict of interest and told Johnson that he needed to apologize and get the money returned, and Johnson refused. And in the entire Washington area, because I had arguments in supermarkets, people would say, <laughs> but it's a good foundation. They do good work. Right. And I said, that has nothing to do with what's wrong with this. It was a foundation for for disabled children, and yeah, it's a great thing. But the point is, what this manager had done is abused his power to basically steal money from his own players <laughs> to give it to his wife's nonprofit organization. I mean, there, there's no defense to that. But it, the circumstances, the media, everybody came down on Peter Angelos and said this was, you know, and, and Davy Johnson ended up basically, you know, leaving leaving the team as a result. Right. And the public just didn't get it, and so it, it's that powerful when we're dealing with. The fact is, the end justifies the means is a really, really strong ethical confounder when we're dealing with things like children, sick people, Mm -hmm. the elderly, veterans, all of them. And the public can be very easily confused about what's ethical and what's unethical when they're in the mix. What's fascinating to me there is, for those who don't know, we just had a conversation also talking about the idea of star treatment. And I feel like they kind of merged there because if Davy Johnson wasn't a good manager, they might not have cared as much that he was fired, but because they respected what he did, on top of this off act you're talking about, it seemed like a convergence of ethical uh, conundrums there. Yeah, no, and these awful often go together. Also, there was an issue that the player involved, Roberto Alomar, which you, you'll recall had a big scandal involved where, when he bit at an umpire oh, yeah. uh, was not the most was not the most popular player <laughs> right. so you had a so that also gets in the way and this is why i always say that ethics is hard because you have to to come up to solve some of these issues and figure out what's right you have to sort of purge your mind of all sorts of biases you might have even some justifiable biases of the players and the positions this is why we find uh, I, I get very frustrated watching a lot of the uh, you know a, a lot of where people end up on political matters because they're not really looking at whether somebody did wrong a lot of times, but whether they like the person who did wrong sure. or don't like the person who did right. 
And by the way, anytime you want to bring up baseball, you will uh, you'll hit a home run with me. Pardon the pun, because that that is my sport for those that listen. So uh, any anytime you want to get in my good side, you can bring up anything related to baseball. Well, you know, my, mine as well. Baseball baseball is uh, is full of ethics. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is ethics lessons, as you know. <laughs> I do, and I I will admit that perhaps in a few games I've played and coached, I may have towed the line of the ethics. But that's another conversation for another day. It's not about me. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the ick factor, and we'll probably bounce back and forth here as well. I was just thought of this as you were talking about that situation. Would the ick factor relate here in terms of, say, a a peaceful protest? A lot of times we see this when it comes to, say, the KKK. Uh, You know, many people are going to argue against that that should happen or be allowed, but obviously they technically have that right. Is that where we could compare it to sort of the ick factor? I mean, that's the one that popped in my head. Maybe you have a better example. It is certainly true when we're evaluating rights. I, no, I think that's a good example, a good example of the ick factor. The Constitution says that we have freedom of speech. Everyone has a right to demonstrate if they uh, can get a, you know, if they get a permit, which is, will be issued according to the same principles for everyone. And mm-hmm. yet they'll say, well, yes, but there has to be an exception here. We can't allow the KKK or the, or the American Nazi Party to march in Skokie. That's an, that's an insult. Well, there's really no way you can, uh, beginning with the premise of the uh, of the Constitution, that you can get to a point where you can say it's not the right thing to let the, let this happen. Though what the action itself is repulsive. I, I think the I, to me what really made me realize what the ick factor was is a lot of the. If you look at a lot of the arguments for banning new technology, like cloning, for example. Okay. What you look at it and they say, well, tip, you know, it's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Well, because you could clone an army and you could, you know, <laughs> you could clone, you know, all sorts of monsters. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, making monsters may be wrong. Cloning an army may be wrong. But what's unethical about the technology? And the fact is, technology is never intrinsically right or wrong. Sure. It's, it's just technology. It's how it's used. But the efforts to basically go to it and say the technology is unethical, it's unethical to allow, allow cloning, this is inhuman, this is immoral, that's just, that's pure ick factor all, all mm-hmm. the way. Uh, and you'll see the same reaction to people who will say to doctors who perform certain kinds of plastic surgery, and they'll say, oh, that's, you know, that's unethical. It's unethical to do that. Well, is it really unethical? Or are you just making a value judgment that the particular kind of operation that's being done to an individual who wants it is really seems strange and disgusting to you. And I, I remember you may have heard about the big debate about whether there should be a, there is going to be a, a restaurant at the uh, 9-11 memorial. Mm-hmm. And everybody said that was unethical. And I said, well, you know, I think it's strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I think it feels funny, right. but how is that unethical? I mean, people mm-hmm. have to eat. I mean, make, make, you know, I'll say to someone, make me an argument about why why it's wrong to have a restaurant at a, at a uh, at a memorial where people come and you know all the stuff people do they spend there's a restaurant at Gettysburg there's a restaurant in all these places and they'll say it's just it's just it's disgusting it it's it's you know well, really they they can't really articulate anything unethical about it it right. just doesn't feel right and that's it sometimes it's very very hard on my website I often have ethics quizzes where the question was, is this unethical or is it the ick factor at work? Do we just sort of feel this is wrong in our gut? Mm -hmm. And of course, see, that's the key, because one of the tests for ethics is, in fact, the gut test, which is, does it feel wrong? And if it feels wrong, that doesn't mean it is necessarily wrong, but it means you need to look more closely. So at the gut level, ick and unethical feel can feel exactly the same. And then when you look at it, you say, well... 
you know, the more I think about this, it's not really wrong. I just, I don't, I don't like it very much. And uh, I think it's an important distinction that sort of keeps us from just sort of flying off without really checking why we feel the way we do about something. Right. I think that's the issue. Going back to the story you had mentioned about the special needs teacher who was fired because she was fundraising on school time, essentially on her employer's time. Yeah. I believe you mentioned in something you had wrote that there could be a chance that if she, I believe she was suing, and if she had a jury trial in that case, that she still could win because in that case, the emotions might play over the ethical side of things. Can that occur in the courtroom where technically, ethically, the school did the right thing, but the emotions win over the decision makers? Sure. And, and in fact, uh, you know, that's a lawyer has to be clever about it. Mm-hmm. But the really great lawyers are wonderful at that. I mean, they're, you know, sympathy and empathy and, and pity and uh, all those things are incredibly powerful. And uh, you know, jurors are not computers. They're... Uh, they're human beings, mm-hmm. and so those thoughts can overwhelm all sorts of uh, all sorts of things. And that's you know Clarence Darrow, who still will uh, we mostly know him from the uh, fictional version of Clarence Darrow we see in the movie version of Inherit the Wind. But the real Clarence Darrow was brilliant in his closing arguments, uh, making what was started out as a legal argument, but ultimately turning into arguments of compassion and calling to things like mercy and kindness sure. and, and all of these things. And, and the most classic example of that, of course, is his amazing, amazing job of, of uh, saving the lives of Leopold and Loeb, who were the, who were the probably the most, as, as a disgusting, disgusting and talk about ick factor. He had to fight the ick factor. He had two rich kids, rich kids who were geniuses who set off intentionally to kill a little boy to prove they were they were smarter than everyone else mm-hmm. and uh, got caught and he was arguing this at a time in Chicago they were both Jewish this was a, a highly very very anti-semitic env- environment every, you know they had the death penalty uh, they basically fit every possible description of uh, absolutely unrepentant awful human beings and yet he made an argument about that began telling the story of how they used to hang children in the um, in England for, for pickpocketing and talking mm. about how basically going away from the ick factor into the awe factor, an right. incredible switch to argue that as a society, we need to move to where we, we value our compassion more highly than revenge. And he got a, a very, uh, a judge who had sentenced many people to death to basically give these guys life imprisonment. And if you read it, you know, he ended by quoting a poem by Omar Khayyam and had tears running down his face and everybody sniffling in the courthouse. <laughs> that lawyers, you know, nobody was better at that than Clarence Darrow, but that's what that's what a lawyer can do. And that that is something in our justice system. We, we allow that through the jury for the awe factor or on the other side, the ick factor. That's, sure. why, that's why courts won't often will not show the photographs of what the, you know, what the uh, a corpse looked like after a murder, because right. if it was particularly horrible, the argument is it's too prejudicial. It's so icky that they can't possibly even see the law or justice anymore. And that's, that's a legitimate fear. Oh, those are definitely some great examples, I think, that people can relate to, maybe not on a personal level, but in things they've seen, read, um, and as you mentioned there, the examples you had. I did want to bring it quickly into the workplace. Say you are in a management-type position. 
Do you have any tips, suggestions for those individuals to avoid falling into the trap of the ick factor or the awe factor when it comes to maybe it's just your typical day-to-day activity with your employees, or if it is something more serious, like we talked about with the special needs student? Well, I think the most important thing is you have to make it make it clear that, that the rules are going to be uh, followed without favoritism and without constant exceptions all the way. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be ready to make an exception under certain circumstances when there really is something that screams out for it. Mm-hmm. When somebody has a child who, who injures herself horribly and as a result, and this can be confirmed, and an employee who is under you know, probation and told that if you're late one more time, you're going to be fired, I, you know, I think a compassionate, ethical, sensible uh, employer will say, okay, this doesn't count because in this case, I've confirmed you had no choice on the matter, so that's not being late. But, you know, it does It does require, you can't go on autopilot, essentially, and you also just can't suddenly flip to emotion. We know that there are manipulative people all over the place, and some people are good at being playing the victim, and some people are good at being pathetic, and some, and some people are, are, are good at, you know, at sort of brassing their way through, through things that mm-hmm. shouldn't be brassed through. And I think that that's a real issue. I mean, I, saw, I read, talk about the ick factor. I read uh, an, another ethicist who was uh, who writes a, a terrific blog called The Ethics Sage, who was talking about American Sniper, and you could read it and tell that his he, he basically had concluded that the hero of American Sli- uh, Sniper was just basically a bad guy and a racist on the basis of the fact that the uh, the ethics sage doesn't like war just mm-hmm. in general doesn't like doesn't like killing people. And so that so colored, he basically, you know, basically was asking things, which I think I come from a military family, but to say, you know, why wasn't he questioning whether he should be shooting these people? Why wasn't he, why wasn't he pushing back against his superiors? You know, not in the army, not when, why wasn't he questioning why Iraq was invaded? Why didn't he have any problems with these things? You don't want people like that as soldiers, but they take their orders. They're not supposed to be sitting there saying, let's look into our Middle East policy. Mm -hmm. uh, And yet, this is ick, is what he was really dealing with. He, he sure. wasn't. He he didn't identify anything that was unethical about that conduct. Uh, he basically found things that he found sort of repugnant because he didn't like the entire context of it. And this is a really smart guy, but it basically warped his entire analysis to such an extent that he was basically saying, you know, this guy is this guy is unethical. Every military uh, commander would say, no, this guy's following orders. This is what you train people to do. This guy's doing his job as well as he can be doing it. And the fact what he what he's thinking while he's doing his job is really irrelevant. We'd prefer he not think at all, you know? And so it can be confounding on a on a very sophisticated level. Well, Jack, that's why we like to have you on. Uh, definitely the knowledge and the passion that you bring to the table, I think, does help our listeners and myself work through some of these things that, as you said, can be very difficult to handle in terms of, especially when you're talking about the emotional side versus the ethical side and how they can kind of clash once in a while. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but Jack, thank you once again for coming on the show. Uh, thank you, Tim, for the invitation. Uh, I look forward to doing it again. Unfortunately, we will have to wrap up this edition of Management Decisions, talking about the ick and the awe factor when it comes to ethics. And we were speaking today with Jack Marshall, the president and founder of ProEthics. You can find out all about him and his organization at ProEthics.com. If you'd like to talk to us about any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or you can interact with us on Twitter. Find us at the LJN, and we encourage you to check out all of our episodes on iTunes as well. 
Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.